Chapter 55 The Compassionate Ar-Rahman In the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful. The Compassionate One The title of this chapter, Ar-Rahman, the Compassionate, is the only one that takes one of the beautiful names of God and popularly known as the Bride of the Quran. People recite this chapter in gatherings for the deceased to soothe their hearts. Reading this chapter not only reminds a person of all blessings he enjoys in this world, but also that their loved one who has left this world has actually gone to a place where he can make use of his deeds in this world and where his life and the school of his existence will continue. However, what does Ar-Rahman mean? Both Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim are cognates of a single etymological root, Rahma, mercy. Therefore, God has two kinds of mercy, a universal one known as Ar-Rahman and a particular mercy as Rahim. To give an example, the light and warmth of the sun reaches everyone on the earth in the same way without exception, whether they are good or bad. whether they are in the sea, desert, or jungle. This is the meaning of Ar-Rahman. However, different colors absorb this light differently. Light colors do not absorb as much light as dark colors. It is in this context that we can describe God by his other name of mercy, Ar-Rahim. God's mercy not only equally touches everything, which is the attribute of Ar-Rahman, but whoever chooses to absorb more of his mercy is given more, Ar-Rahim. In the same vein, God has guided all of us. This is because he is Ar-Rahman. However, He also gives the believers a special kind of mercy, which emanates from his attribute of Ar-Rahim. God is Ar-Rahman in this world and Ar-Rahim in the hereafter. The faithful will enjoy God's special mercy in the hereafter, while those people who did not absorb God's mercy in this world will be deprived of it in the hereafter. In this chapter, God cites the general kind of mercy which he bestows on all his creatures rather than a particular one. He taught reading, the Quran. There are many people who suppose that Quran here means the holy book that was revealed to his prophet. However, this understanding does not capture God's universal mercy because this is only for the Muslims who have embraced Islam. If this is what Quran means here, then how do followers of other religions or people of no religion benefit from God's universal mercy? 
It is true that this revealed scripture is called the Quran, but the same word that appears in this verse does not refer to the scripture, but rather to the act of reading. In other words, from a grammatical perspective, it is not a noun, but an infinitive. If by reading, we mean reading the letters of the alphabet, how is this considered one of God's universal blessings? Fourteen centuries ago, in the Arabian Peninsula, only the tiniest minority of people were able to read and write. In what sense did he teach them reading? The word Quran is derived from the root Qara'a, used for the drops of rainwater, which gather into and fill a tank. Alternatively, this verb is also used when people who dwell in tents, scattered across deserts, gather in a town and live together. Qariya. There are many other examples of this meaning. With this in mind, how did the word Qira'a come to signify reading? It is such because when we read, we put together a series of symbols in the form of letters and words and thereby create sentences which we read and whose meaning we understand. Therefore, we have a gathering in the sense that we have assembled a collection of arbitrary symbols that allow us to convey messages to one another. It is this joining of symbols that we call qira'a, and an act that God taught, rather than reading or literacy in the modern sense. God taught human beings to read, in the sense that a human being, unlike any other creature, can use a series of symbols to express thoughts and ideas about the world. In the cave of Hira, God said to the prophet, Read. However, the prophet was not a man of letters and had never studied to become one. So, what did the prophet read? In short, the symbols of the cosmos, words which, like all the signs, ayat, of God, are written in the language of existence and in symbols, which point to an underlying unity. From each one of these signs, the Prophet understood that there was a reality, that there was a Creator and a Lord. God meant that the Prophet should read the world. How should he read the world? In such a way that he sees all the parts of the world joined together. In such a way that he perceives the system of the cosmos. God told him to read the cosmos and its parts. This is what the prophet read. This is the real meaning of qira'a, putting together different pieces in order to produce a single meaning. This can be applied to the evolution of life, cells multiplying and gradually joining together to form complex organisms until, finally, he created a human. 
in the beginning, a single cell came into being on the surface of the earth. It multiplied into two, then four, then eight, and then more cells came into being. These formed colonies. Then the cells took shape and gradually produced the first complex organisms until this process of joining, qira'a, finally produced human beings. He taught him speech. What does speech mean in this verse? To all appearances, the act of speaking is a simple process. However, it is complex and multifaceted. First, air must be compressed into our lungs. Then, we push this air out to our vocal cords and cause these cords to move in specific ways. We also contort our lips and different parts of our mouth into various shapes around this air. This is how we produce the sounds of speech. Almost everyone can do this in some form or another. But how finely tuned these vocal cords must be in order for each one of us to have his or her own voice, different to other voices. Isn't this strange? Through speech, we can express our deepest thoughts and give voice to our heart's most hidden secrets. We have the power to stir up feelings of pleasure or anger, to move people to laughter and to tears. There is no other creature in this world with such ability. Animals do not have elaborate or well-formed languages. But human beings speak in more than 3,000 languages and dialects in this world today. So, who was it that taught it to us? Who placed this ability in the nuclei of the cells of our brain so that whenever we feel, imagine, or think, we can share it with others. Surely, one of the signs of God's mercy is that we can read, and more importantly, that we can speak. The sun and the moon follow their calculated courses. Now, what are we to look upon and reflect? God tells us to look at how the sun and moon Follow precise calculations. Therefore, you see that God does not swear by the pen for us to compose poetry or to write couplets and stanzas. Instead, he tells us to look at the cosmos, see the sun and the moon, and see the order that lies behind them. And the stars and the trees do submit to him. Since the sun and moon are mentioned in the last verse, it seems that the remainder in this verse should be related to the same topic. The most plausible meaning for Nejim here is star. Then, what does Shajar mean? Although the common meaning of it is tree, it makes more sense that Shajar should refer to the galaxy or the cosmos as a whole. 
There are thousands of stars in the sky forming a galaxy. Furthermore, there are thousands of galaxies, and they all belong to clusters, and the latter belong to even greater systems. In this way, a web or a network of these astronomical bodies resemble a tree. In fact, the cosmic network is made up of suns, moons, stars, and galaxies. However, what do all of these things do? They are all in a state of prostration. It means they are all in the service of this system. All the different pieces of the cosmos strive towards the purpose for which God created them. They are like a single orchestra, with each member playing the instrument they were given. All of them are in harmony, and when they play together, they produce a single, melodious symphony. Therefore, the entirety of the cosmos, including the sun, the moon, and the stars, are all in a state of prostration, sejda. When a drop of water joins the ocean, it grasps the meaning of the ocean. When a drop of water is by itself, it is just a drop. He has raised the sky and set up the balance, Mizan. He raised the heavens so high that if we want to travel from our solar system to another solar system, it will take us thousands of years at the speed of light. He did not bring the cosmos into being in vain or without purpose. On the contrary, he set up a balance. Mizan. For it. It means that the cosmos follows an incredible order. God created this vast and awe-inspiring cosmos with the utmost order. The question here is what does this balance have to do with us? That you transgress, not the balance. He mentions the cosmic balance so that we do not stray from the balance. See how all the parts of this world are in balance and order. Why do you do whatever you please? Why are you unbalanced? Do you think that this world was created without purpose? Do you think God has left the cosmos with no accounting, no order, and no guidance? Did he not send scriptures to guide you? So, do not transgress the balance. When a river overflows its bounds, it creates a flood. O oh, human being! Do not cause a flood. What else could you possibly want to do? So maintain the weight with justice and fall not short in the balance. Grammatically speaking, weight here is employed as an infinitive, meaning to measure and to treat fairly. In other words, it means to be fair in your dealings with others. Do not dupe and swindle people, 
When people hear the word mizan, they usually think of scales. But God tells not to shorten the measure in all of our daily affairs. God points to the system that He instituted to govern the cosmos and tells humankind to study its balance, in order that they observe the same balance in their economic relations with others. See how well ordered the universe is. Why do you defraud people? From these verses onwards, the Quran expounds God's blessings. The above nine verses are like a preface of this chapter. The blessings that God mentions in the remainder of this chapter are of two kinds. One, blessings that will be seen by us in the hereafter. And two, blessings that will be seen by us in this world. The blessings that we see in this world are also of two kinds. One is immediate, namely those that we see right now as we live. And the other is future blessings, which will come to be at a later time and are for the benefit of future generations. Immediate blessings in this world then fall into three categories. The blessings of the earth the blessings of the heavens, and the blessings of the sea. The blessings of the earth, for example, cover different kinds of fruit and agricultural produce. The blessings of the heavens cover how heavenly bodies like the moon and sun and their movements affect the human being. The blessings of the sea for example, include the existence of two different kinds of water, salt water and fresh water, the harvesting of pearls from the ocean and the movement of ships. And the earth he set out for his creatures. God says that he laid out the earth for the sake of humankind. What blessing does this hold for us? in which are fruits and sheathed palm trees. Here there are all kinds of fruit, including date palms with sheaths that contain their hanging fruit. Then there are pulpy fruits, fruits with medicinal benefits and fruits that are sweet, all of which God has placed on these trees. In other words, he mentions a single specific example of the fruit he has given us in this verse. However, what about other plants that we obtain produce from? Husked grain and fragrant herbs. This demonstrates that it is not only fruit trees that are blessings, but smaller plants too. For example, wheat, barley, peas, and beans all belong to this category. More than this, even herbs are a blessing because of their good taste, pleasant smell, and medicinal properties. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? In other words, how can you not see these blessings? This phrase is repeated 31 times throughout this chapter of the Quran, and... In each instance, 
God emphasizes his blessings and reminds us of them. The word bounties is similar to blessing, but carries a deeper, broader, and more intense meaning. He made a human from dried clay, like earthen vessels. Someone who makes bricks or ceramic wares is called a potter. Therefore, in the same way that a potter works with clay, God also took the primary material of the human being from the earth. And the jan he created of smokeless fire. He made the jan out of pure energy. In fact, jan refers to forces and things that are hidden, unseen, and invisible, which we cannot directly apprehend. Therefore, God made us from matter and dust, but he made unseen things, like angels, from pure energy or smokeless fire. So, the angels are included in the category of hidden things. So, which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Lord of the two Easts and Lord of the two Wests The East and West of this world signifies the rising and the setting of the sun. The earth itself moves, both objectively and in relation to other things. Meanwhile, the sun moves both in this galaxy and in the universe as a whole. What is more, even the galaxies move, and all of them move by God's command. All the pieces of the cosmos are in motion. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? He merged the two seas. On earth, there are two water systems functioning. One is the oceanic system, whose water is always salty, and the other is freshwater system, which is always drinkable. For millions of years, rivers have emptied their waters into the seas. So why do the seas not become fresh water? Where does the water of rivers come from? From the sea. So why is rain not salty? On numerous occasions, the Quran highlights the phenomenon where two water systems are forever merging and one is always sweet and the other always salty and bitter. What wisdom is there that God forever keeps merging the two together without them ever mixing? There is a barrier between them, which they do not overstep. This is not a barrier in the sense of a wall. Some say this refers to the waters of the Gulf Stream or the fresh and salty water or may refer to the types of flowing water that exist at the bottom of the ocean. The water of rivers, which flows into ocean, does not immediately mix because of different density of these waters. Regardless of what streams this verse denotes, God has not placed any visible or physical wall in between. 
So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? There comes forth from both of them the pearl and coral stone. In both the water of the rivers and the oceans, you can find pearls and corals. One result from two different sets of circumstances. Do you see what a magnificent order God has created? So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? His are the ships displayed upon the sea, like mountains or banners. The Quran compares these ships upon the ocean to mountains because of their sails raised above the waves. When we see ships from afar, they look like mountains gliding across the ocean. This verse is drawing our attention to the power of the winds. One can sail from this end of the world to the other, using merely the power of the winds. Do you see what God has created in this world? So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Do you not believe that these are blessings? All who are upon it, earth, will perish. Nobody will survive in this world, and everybody will depart this life. In other words, everything that lives on the face of the earth will pass away and leave this world. Yet the face of your Lord of majesty and honor will remain. Only one thing will remain, the face of God. Here, face means countenance, and this includes whatever has a divine hue, because God does not have a physical face and no limitation of any kind. As an example, a school will close when the year ends, but everything that carries the hue of the school is its countenance, and it will remain. Therefore, the face of the school, here in this example, means the knowledge gained by its students during the school year, which is its countenance. This world will come to an end, but those things that carry a godly hue, godly deeds, will remain. These are deeds which are directed towards God and towards divine goals. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Normally, when we read this chapter of the Quran in funeral gatherings, we get to about this point before the preacher begins his sermon. This is because we want to console those who have lost someone dear and remind them that he or she is not lost, but merely on a journey to receive the record of their deeds. In reality, we are burying our loved ones with their deeds. If deeds are godly, they will certainly remain after everything else has passed away. When a person dies, the people ask, What did he leave behind? While the angels ask, What did he send ahead? The next section of verses expounds the blessings of this world for future generations. This will be followed by the topic of the hereafter. All that are in the heavens and the earth ask him. Every day he is engaged in some task. 
In reality, all that are in the heavens and the earth means not only all the creatures on this earth, but all the creatures on all the planets in the galaxy are in a state of asking God for what they need. This does not mean they are literally asking Him for a list of things, but rather that their every need, great or small, is dependent upon God. If we had no oxygen for even a short time, we would not survive. There is not a single moment that goes by that the cells in our brain stop working, or in which our hearts stop beating. There is no other being that is not in a constant state of need. It is God, and only God, who is absolutely without need. In the part, every day he is engaged in some task. Day is not the opposite of night nor is it a 24-hour period. Here, it means any period of time, whether a million years or a fraction of a second. In other words, God is always creating. He is creating millions of stars and galaxies. He is always causing changes in the world. The movement of night and day is continuous. In addition, all these phenomena show that the world is constantly in motion and never pauses for a second. And who is making it turn? This also gives hope to the human being because even if they are in a bad situation now, the world is constantly moving, so their situation can always change for the better. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Are these not blessings? Is it not a blessing that the world has a Lord who is showering it with blessings, constantly sustaining and nourishing it, and forever giving energy to it and all of its inhabitants? We will attend to you both, O weighty ones. We will attend to you means we will soon devote our attention to you. As for the two weighty things, this may refer to the jinn and the humans. Jinn refers to everything that is hidden from us and not directly perceptible. Unlike what has largely been understood, jinn do not refer to the spiritual entities, but it is actually an adjective. It is like the word beauty. Beauty is not the name of any particular thing, but an adjective that describes many things in the world. In fact, even human beings not known to us can be called jinn. Angels can be called jinn. As well as all manner of beings that are hidden from us, which we do not know about. Here, it appears that God is addressing both those things which exist which we can touch, see, and know, as well as those things of which we do not know, as of yet. Therefore, the two weighty things refer to the material and energetic forces. Or to put it another way, the material and immaterial realms. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny?
O company of jinn and human, if you have power to penetrate all regions of the heavens and the earth, then penetrate them. You will never penetrate them except with sanction or authority. O company of jinn and human is a group that includes all the humans that are known and unknown all over the world, whether white, yellow, or black, alive today, alive in the future, or alive in the past. We could interpret jinn as referring to human beings, namely those humans who are unknown to us at present or at some time in the future. The phrase, if you have power, does not have to refer to an innate ability. It could be scientific or technological. To penetrate, to enter and move through the regions of the heavens and the earth. This includes having power to build spaceships and leave behind the atmosphere of the earth. So far, the furthest extent human beings have traveled through space is to the moon. However, the Quran says to pass through all the regions of the heavens and the earth, to go beyond the solar system, even go beyond the galaxy of the Milky Way. However, you should know that you will never penetrate them except with sanction or authority, that is, except by attaining mastery. In other words, you will not be able to pass through the heavens and the earth without mastery in science, industry, and technology. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Is it not a blessing that the human being can take flight from the earth and travel across the globe and the heavens? Is it not miraculous that this verse was revealed 1,400 years ago in Arabia, at a time when most people lived and died in their hometown and had no idea about the extent of the world around them? Quran says, If you want to travel through the heavens and the earth, go and travel. Nevertheless, you will not be able to travel without a vehicle. Why can you not travel without a vehicle? There will be sent against you both heat of fire and flash of brass. Then you will not be able to defend yourselves. God says he will send something down which will strike you. What is it? There are two things. A smokeless flame and the other is sparks emitted from hitting a heated metal. He then says, then you will not be able to defend yourselves. Up there is nothing that will help you. Correspondingly, from a scientific perspective, atmospheric phenomena are also of two kinds, and it is these two things that pose a danger to the aircraft that flies through the atmosphere. The first of these are electromagnetic rays emitted by the sun. At extreme levels of heat, hydrogen atoms fuse together into helium and some of the energy produced by this process is emitted in the form of gamma rays, X-rays, infrared rays, ultraviolet rays, and of course, visible light.
If these rays of solar radiation were to reach the surface of the Earth, no life forms would survive. Only a very small percentage of the sun's rays reach us on the surface of the world. The remainder is reflected by different levels of the Earth's atmosphere, such as the magnetosphere, the stratosphere, and the ionosphere. However, when we leave the atmosphere, there is no shield to protect us from these rays. However, this is just the first of the two. A second kind of electromagnetic ray was discovered in early 20th century. In addition to the electromagnetic rays, there are massive particles, mainly protons, originating both from the sun and outside the solar system. Similar particles can be produced by solar flares, enormous eruptions that take place on the surface of the sun from time to time. Similar particles can be produced by solar flares, enormous eruptions that take place on the surface of the sun from time to time. Because of the nuclear reactions taking place in the sun, these particles are continuously being thrown into the upper reaches of the Earth's atmosphere. Therefore, these massive particles also pose a significant risk to human life if we travel outside the atmosphere. Based on the above, we can see there are three dangers that confront us in space. 1. Electromagnetic radiation 2. Cosmic rays and also 3. Meteorites However, this third kind of danger is not mentioned anywhere in the Quran perhaps because they are few in number and less of a danger in comparison to electromagnetic radiation and cosmic rays. It is truly amazing that the language Quran uses about the dangers humanity will face when they leave the atmosphere precisely reflects the nature of those dangers from a scientific perspective. A flame without smoke refers to pure energy or the electromagnetic radiation emitted by the sun that does not have any material component. Moreover, sparks like those that fly from hot metal refers to cosmic rays, which are made up of hydrogen nuclei consisting of a single proton. So, which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? And when the heaven is split open and turns crimson like red hide, when the heavens are split and the resurrection begins, the heavens and the solar system are thrown into disorder. Quran uses the word heavens, sama', which in Arabic literally means something high up, or above one's head. Consider if the force of gravity was disrupted in this world. What would happen? The verse connotes that when the time of the resurrection is at hand, and the sun has almost reached its end, the sky will turn a deep red-brown color, like a crimson rose. Most likely, this is stated to highlight the similarity in the changes a star undergoes at the end of its life when its fuel is all used up.
sun's fuel is hydrogen, and when all used and turned into helium, sun will lose its heat, and the light it emits will shift towards the infrared end of the spectrum, dark red, like a red rose. Pay close attention to when and where these words were uttered. In a tribal society, some 1,400 years ago, and it is only now that scientists are making these discoveries using modern scientific instruments. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? On that day, neither human nor jinn will be questioned of his sin. On a day when all persons, whether known or unknown, whether familiar to us or unfamiliar, and whether made of matter or energy, will not be asked about their sins. In other words, there's no need to ask anyone why he did this or that, because everything will be plainly visible. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? The guilty will be known by their marks, and will be taken by the forelocks and the feet. Everyone will be known by his or her markings. This implies to the mark made by the way a person lived, the way their behavior has been imprinted onto their faces, and so is visible to all who behold them. This is just like when we look at things through a microscope and identify many features that were not immediately apparent. Based on apparent meaning, each person's face and appearance will reveal who they are and what deeds they did throughout their lives. And how will these guilty ones be treated? When they want to seize someone, they seize him by his forelock. However, it appears that this word is meant to convey a particular image. A person prostrates with his forehead. To prostrate before something means to dedicate to service of that thing. So, the forehead symbolizes which a person has devoted himself to, or whom did this person serve in his life. How unfortunate such people are that they bowed down before money, power, desire, fame, and so on. Because of the things they chased and followed, they now have marks left on the very core of their being. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? This verse is repeated 31 times and serves as a kind of refrain or chorus to the chapter. This is the hell which the guilty deny. This assertion highlights the fact of punishment that the guilty would not accept. A mujrim is a person who has severed a bond. This person has no connection to the system of existence. They go circling round between it and fierce boiling water. In this hellfire, the guilty will forever be in a state of circulation, moving from place to place. They will circulate between the fires of hell and boiling water. 
so which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? From this point onwards, there are many observations about the connection between heaven and hell. The realities presented here are not truly comprehensible to us, but the Quran provides imagery and symbolism to help us understand what it is like by drawing a similitude between it and this world. On many occasions, the Quran suggests that heaven and hell are beyond the capacity of the human imagination to conceive. Let me give you an example. In this day and age, almost everyone knows what is a laptop. Now I want you to imagine that you had to explain this to someone living just 50 years ago. How would you make them understand what a laptop was? You might tell them that it is something like a calculator or an abacus. This is just an example you are giving to them to help them understand what a computer is like. So, when you want to make people living 1,400 years ago, or even today, understand the nature of a place that is truly unpleasant, what do you tell them? Boiling water. Why? Because they cannot conceive of anything more terrifying than that. But then, does that mean this is what hell really is? It is interesting to note that all descriptions of paradise and hell are indefinite, undefined, and ultimately unknown. We do not know the specific objects contained therein. Instead, we are being given general idea of what they are, through things that are familiar to us. But for him who fears the standing before his Lord, there are two gardens. There are two paradises for he who is in fear of the station of his Lord. Note that in the standing before his Lord, the Quran uses the Lord, Rabb, invoking his authority, rather than the name, Allah. This shows that this verse is expounding God's role, rather than his essence. People often wonder why Quran tells us to be afraid of God. God himself is not frightening. So, what is it that we fear? We must fear God's station, because God is just. However, individuals should never fear God's justice, because justice depends upon our actions, on our mistakes, on the record of our deeds for which we will be held accountable. So, in reality, we fear from our own actions. For example, as long as you are not driving, you will never worry about the traffic police. Even if the police were sitting here in their uniforms, you still would not worry. We worry about them only when we are driving. Therefore, you might say you fear the station of the police. You do not really fear from the police as an individual, but you fear from your own actions. You are afraid you might have gone through a red light, and we may fear that the station of the police will lead them to give us a ticket for a traffic violation. In other words, 
We should fear God in order to prevent ourselves from following our lusts and passions and to prevent ourselves from wrongdoing. The fear of God should motivate us to keep ourselves under close observation and control ourselves, not to become angry, not to swear, not to be jealous or covet the things that other people have, and so on. This is the true meaning of fearing the station of our Lord. So, which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Of spreading branches. People usually prefer to see the young green branches of trees rather than the old, yellow, dried-up one. So, does this verse really refer to a tree? No. The tree described in the verse is an image to help human beings understand. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? In which are two fountains flowing. There are flowing springs there as well, two in fact. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? In which is every kind of fruit in pairs. In paradise, there are pairs of fruit. A pair might mean male and female. It could also mean fruits hanging in pairs. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Reclining upon couches lined with silk brocade, the fruit of both gardens within easy reach. There are cushions with silk threads in paradise for its inhabitants to recline upon. God has presented this image for us. He knows we would not use silk thread for the threads of a cushion. However, God's blessings in paradise are so great that even cushions and the wefts in their entirety, right down to their lining, are made from silk. In addition, Ripe fruits of those whose gardens will be nearby, hanging within easy reach, means that no one will need to climb a tree to reach them. This, again, is an image to illustrate how close the blessings will be. In other words, this verse is saying that you can have whatever you want. You need only want it, and it is there. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? So which of these blessings can we reject? In them will be maidens of modest and restrained glances, whom no man or jinn have touched before. This is an allusion to someone who lowers gaze, not allowing to be distracted by others. It implies they have an unclouded gaze and a pure heart, and had no contact with anyone before. However, many translators take this to be a reference to the maidens in paradise, but there is no suggestion of such a meaning anywhere. In fact, the instinctive needs of human beings may not even be present in the hereafter, and even if it were, it would have been fulfilled with their own partners and no need to look to others for this. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny?
the promises we are given must correspond to our needs and be compatible with the things we pursue in this world. It might appear quite ridiculous to some people that the Quran speaks about gardens, pillows, partners, and food in paradise, and promises that these will be provided. But then, what are humans really looking for? Thirst, hunger, and other human instincts are needs that God has placed within the human being. If the Quran spoke about something else which we had no inclination towards, we would almost certainly not be drawn to it. Therefore, the Quran tells the human being about those things which he likes. However, the difference is that these instincts will come across things which are infinite in scope, which no human being has ever been able to understand. Therefore, you must remember what the real meaning of these examples is. Like rubies and coral stone, these beings are compared to rubies and coral. Ruby is a precious stone, while coral is usually a white substance which is brought out from the sea and sometimes comes in other colors too. This is for us to understand that these things are similar to coral and rubies. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Is the reward of goodness other than goodness? Notice that God does not say, Is the reward of the Muslims anything other than goodness? This means that whoever does a good deed falls within the scope of this verse. Any good deed, any noble act, no matter who did it, it is because they are a good person. Is it possible that someone could do a good deed and God in return would do other than what is good? Therefore, the requital of goodness is most certainly goodness. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? The following verses describe another group of the inhabitants of paradise. It appears that the blessings described thus far are for good people who fear God, and the next ones describe the paradise of those brought near, muqarrabin. Beyond this, the following verses describe a different paradise. And beside them are two other gardens. There are two more paradises at the next level below them. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Both are dark green. In describing the features of this paradise, the Quran portrays it as extremely verdant and abounding in fruit. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Wherein are a pair of gushing springs. This paradise has supernatural springs, which gush. Compare this to the previous paradise in which there were springs that flowed. This suggests that there is more water in the springs of those brought near. These near ones would have been great thinkers, like the prophets, whose ideas and deeds continued flowing for centuries 
after they had lived. Of course, like the trees mentioned above, the springs are a highly symbolic image and does not only refer to a water source. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? In which is fruit, the date palm and pomegranate? This paradise contains dates, pomegranates and other fruit. Once again, we see these words appear in the indefinite to show that they are being mentioned as examples and metaphors to help us grasp what that world will resemble. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Fair ones, sheltered in pavilions. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Wherein are found good-natured, beautiful maidens? So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Whom no man or jinn has touched before. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Reclining on green cushions and splendid carpets. So which of your Lord's bounties will you deny? Blessed be the name of your Lord. Mighty and glorious. Throughout this chapter, the name of Allah was never mentioned. It is important to note that Lord is the attribute of God, who is the sustainer, the provider, and the regulator of the world's affairs. In addition, your Lord is most esteemed, honorable, generous and bountiful.